Hi, Emma. How are you? Welcome to Hi, the podcast. Thank you so much. It's wonderful to have you here. So this amazing woman that I have in front of me, she's a journalist, an author, she's a correspondent and anchor. And right now she's commentator in Espejo Público of Atres Media. Throughout her career, she has landed some illustrious interviews and scoops from the leader of Polisario movement in the Western Sahara, while she was still a student to Poe to Pope Paul II, Yasser Arafat, and most extraordinarily, a private interview with Fidel Castro, among many others. In 1999, she joined one of her mentors to spearhead the US-based plural entertainment and TV and feature production arm of Grupo Prisa, that's Spain's largest media conglomerate. When moving to London, she reinvented herself as contributing editor to Vanity Fair, authoring a multitude of cover feature articles. As a political commentator of Radio Nacional de España, and more recently as a regular presence of Ona Tres Media, a Spanish daily current efforts TV program. In addition, she also dedicates her time to her role as an advisor to the chairman of Christie's in the UK. She's a voracious news junkie. She consumes six newspapers a day. Wow, Emma, this is amazing. You have this amazing background of journalism, of asking interesting questions, of meeting the most uh, interesting people around the world, and at the same time, combining it with arts. How did it start? How did this develop? Well, my husband says that I started writing articles back when I was in the womb, obviously with a typewriter, because we didn't have computers back then. And the truth is that I was genuinely very curious and very interested in the world, in people um, since I was very, very, very young. I was very interested in writing. I was very interested in metaphors. I was very interested in putting what I was seeing around in, in letters. Um, I was very interested in telling stories. I was very interested in listening to stories. So I think that's how everything began because um, that's what you need to be to be a journalist like to be genuinely curious i love that so curiosity has been kind of like your compass curiosity what has been what has guided you in every step of your career right very much so as they say um a journalist is an ocean of knowledge of one centimeter of depth but for people that like excitement and learning new things is the perfect profession because um you have if you think about it you have like an hour an hour and a half to come up uh, with a with a words from the person you're interviewing thinking that you're you're going to be an expert on that person but you just have months ahead, like to to research and everything but then you just have one hour and a half so very very limited time and then you have to write it like if you were an expert so one of the things that i've been using through my career is when i walk into them i imagine them as children mm. i imagine them like as adolescents i try to visualize them before they were famous and i try to to grasp that human connection with them without me seeing like a head of state, without me seeing a serial killer or a terrorist or anything, just me trying to see the person that they were before they made them such an important person that they deserve to be interviewed for the public. So, and I think that is important. And going back to curiosity, I think one of the best tips for not aging too fast is to keep your enthusiasm and your curiosity. So I think all journalists are going to be aging very well and all the amateurs, curious people that like to learn on their own, they will do the same too. 
Totally. I love these two insights that you just mentioned. I found them fascinating because I think it's quite um, common. No? I bet that maybe at some point in your, in your career, you might have felt, you know, the imposter syndrome when you were interviewing this, you know, really important person, right? And uh, and maybe kind of like feeling insecure, like, oh, maybe did I make the right questions? Did I did this right? No? And I love how you turn it around. And it's like, how can I connect with the most important essence of this human? How can I connect heart to heart and it's from my inner child to this person's inner child without all the power without all the kind of like media without all the you know buzz around and just connecting in what makes us human connecting in what makes us you know um yeah live these experiences in, the, in in this world could you share other tips like that that you've used in your career to have this successful uh, journalism career Um, well, basically, that, that would be like to approach people, as I always think that, as you said, we always keep our inner child within us. Mm -hmm. We always keep like the person that we were when we were young with our dreams and our things. And then they get covered by experience. They get covered by pressure. They get covered by like the way we're supposed to behave. And I think it's, it's about being genuine. Um trying the other person to the most genuine part of them. Mm -hmm. And then another thing that I learned from my career is I tend not to ask questions that I want to know myself. I just ask the questions that I want an answer for. <laughs> And I forget if it's going to be popular or not popular, or obviously what I want to know is what most people want to know in general. But then I also want to know other things. But nobody may care, but I need to come out with the, with the response. I need to come out with the answer. Mm, so it's kind of like your own internal quest, right? Like what are the questions that this personality or this person has arised in you? And, you know, how can you satisfy that curiosity and that thirst for knowledge, right? Um, I am a journalist for myself. Sorry, sorry, Mario. I'm a journalist for myself. Even if I didn't have an audience, Even if I would, I mean, when I'm sitting next to a person at a dinner party that I've never seen in my life or anything, mm -hmm. um, and some people say, oh, we sat you next to this person, is truly boring, please, can you make the best out of it? Mm -hmm. And I said, sure, because they tend to think that I talk to walls and to columns. And, and one of the things that I'm not going to publish or anything like that, I'm just going to try to learn about that person. And then I, I approach it like if that person was a potential novel. Mm -hmm. And then I ask them about their mothers, like Almodovar does. Then I ask them about um, if, they, if they made, how did they make the person they live with, the couple. Um, I tend not to ask if they have children or not, because that gets you into another level. And then you realize that even the most boring, boring, boring person, socially boring, has immensely interesting stories if you know how to guide them through their memories. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm, totally. And there's always also something, you know, quite um, fascinating about them. Maybe, you know, in the interview, they might seem boring, but if you know how to search or how to scratch into the surface, you will understand really fascinating things about them. For example, I was talking the other day with a friend and we were talking about that. Well, I believe that when, when you don't like someone, Like maybe, I don't know, it's like, oh, I don't like that person. Or you arrive to a place where it's like with a group of friends and you're like, mm, I don't like that person, no? 
I think that if you have the opportunity to sit down and have a deep conversation with that person, it's almost impossible for you not to like him or her. Because when you sit down and you and you dig deep and you connect with them and you get to know the people, you understand many things about their, their behavior and it's impossible for, for, so for them not to be liked by you because you understand a different context. You could kind of like dig deeper into not only the facade, of the outward personality or the mask no, that we all can be wearing, living in our everyday lives. But you go in into the essence, into the pureness of that soul. And that's impossible not to like. And there's very few people that do not have a great story. The only people I find highly boring and it has nothing to do with what they're talking about is the people that feel this self-entitlement. But as long as the person is, as you said, genuine, and, and there's always, always, always a story to learn. And you have to think that you're in that place and sitting on that seat for a reason. Yeah. You just need to figure out before the dessert comes, what is the reason? What do you have to learn from that supposedly boring person? Yeah, of course. And also something quite interesting is um, how, for example, did you get to these personalities? How was kind of like the point of contact? Did you have a team? Did you do it by yourself? How did you reach to these people? How do you reach? Well, well when, when I was in television, the producer would reach to them. They would organize like, the, the, you're asking about the interviews or you're asking about my, my sitting in weird dinners. No, no, your interview. That would be the producer, um, or, or it would be a request from one of my bosses in the newspaper, and there's always people helping you. Basically, if you're a journalist, you have access to all these amazing uh, phone numbers. Back then, a Rolodex, right now, all these uh, iPhone address books. And, and there's always a, a way of reaching to these people, and there's always... But, when I first started, it was much easier. Right now, people didn't have like PRs and PRs of PRs and assistance of the PR of the PR. Right now, everything is like much more complicated. It has many more stages um, than it was before, which is slightly boring. And it's also more corporate because you reach like the, the celebrity or you, you reach the artist or you reach, and there's always a pre-established agenda. And then now people tend to ask for lots of um, things that you can do, that you cannot do. And of course, I mean, one of the principles of journalism is when they ask you, they cannot ask you not to ask a specific question, mm. but they always do. <laughs> like don't ask is, this person doesn't like to talk about this, or this is not going to be quite controversial, so stay out of it. Of course. Exactly. As part they of want it. to control the narrative. They want to control everything. Yes, that was exactly what I wanted to uh, ask you in my next in, in my next question about how do you decide what type of storytelling or what type of narrative do you give to each story that you're diving in? Well, basically, you need to read the most reputable sources that you can have access to, but you also need to read your enemy. I think what is key is to know what your enemy is thinking about your enemy, I'm saying like the fake news people, for example, right now with the Ukraine um, um, war, what I'm trying is to access the Russian news because I want to know what the Russian people are, are, are perceiving that is going on there. Because if I just read the New York Times and like the really serious newspapers and the really, then I'm not going to have, no, 
the danger that we're encountering right now is that if you just listen to whatever comes to your inbox or whatever comes through your social media, then you're doing a big disservice to yourself because you're being like, First of all, you're part of an algorithm. They choose you for the things that you like or dislike. And then they see that you have a slight tendency to be paranoid or something. They hit you with the most incredible conspiracy theories and they make you lose your balance and lose your judgment. That's why you need to read a whole spectrum. That's why I try to read tons of newspapers a day and have access to as much information as I can, which is a full-time job, per se. Full-time job. And for example... <laughs> I, I wonder, no, with all of these, you know, fake media that we have or fake news are happening around, all of these, you know, content creators, not from different, you know, maybe they don't even work in a in a in a news company or anything. Could it could be, you know, influencers, it could be, you know, uh, podcasters, TikTokers, you know, the whole thing. And we're creating content in like in massive, in a massive scale, more than ever before in our era. Right. So with this amount of content that we are constantly bombarded in our everyday lives, how can we become critical to understanding and finding which are the sources of quality with all the ocean of content that we have around? How can we identify or become critical or of, of which influencers or which TikTokers or, or which, you know, um, correspondents or which type of news are more healthy for us and more qualified and with more quality than others? I think <laughs> what I would advise people is less Instagram, and I'm a big follower in Instagram and I follow tons of people, but I would say less Instagram and more Plato, less Instagram and more Aristotle's, less Instagram and more reading the biography of some amazing human being. I think it's more of like not losing perspective, not being bombarded, as you said, which is a way of making you totally ADD with so many things coming. And sometimes you're reading an email or something very important, an article that somebody was saying, and your, your screen is popping up saying, oh, your aunt wants to know the recipe for your paella, or, you know, and we constantly, or like something has happened in the marriage of some Kardashian, or that. so you need to keep yourself sane. And I think it's extremely difficult. And going back to the philosophers, the philosophers were big, big, big believers in discipline. And I think one of the few things that we need to master, and I haven't done it myself yet, so it's not that I'm instructing people to do things that I know how to do, but is to be disciplined enough to know how to measure the time you spend with social media, point number one. Point number two, to know that not everything that comes through your screen is true. Mm -hmm. Because right now we can we can even Photoshop our husband from the wedding picture. I mean, and, and put Brad Pitt. I mean, how can you trust anything that comes on a screen with every single thing can be manipulated? Not only ideas, but images. When they said, "Oh, I, I have proof that uh, Trump was here," maybe it was not what he, he wants you to believe he was, and he has himself in the middle of something. You, one has to be extremely careful, and the most important thing is to check your sources. Mm -hmm. Just go to reputable sources that are not perfect because everything, you know, is subjective of the way, that, and some of them are more liberal leaning, and some of them are more conservative leaning. But at least they 
they have some kind of ethics. They have some kind of morals of how to conduct journalism. Of course. And something quite interesting as well is to comment what you just said about um, the more the more you consume or the different, you know, needs, uh, news or, you know, um, authors that you consume around, right? Um, it also helps to boost creativity because you get yourself out of your normal habits and into a different sense of a new storytelling, a new context, a new a different backgrounds, a new angle, and that boosts different areas in your brain. So you can, it helps, you know, to think outside the box as in the same sense that it, as it helps, you know, to sometimes change your routine or change, you know, start your day by dancing, for example, doing something different. I think it should be the same way of just not only consuming um, your news on the, on, on, on the same places, right? So be able to open up to see different you know uh correspondents different journalists around the world and then you know to be able and be selective to curate your own sources right absolutely and i think what you just said is like to keep time to to boost your your creativity i'm a firm believer that the appreciation of nature or going for a walk um doing something that is not necessarily effective or useful or efficient is very, very good. Uh, it's very good for you because um, you're daydreaming and I'm a big believer in that daydreams contain like magical potions for magical things to happen, for magical messages to come to you through your own subconscious. And, and I think that that is one of the keys of not doing things that are like, for example, right now with artificial intelligence, I mean, they can do so many incredible things through our, but can they go like and spend the time wasting time? Mm-hmm. Do machines know how to waste time? Mm-hmm. I think wasting time is going to be one of the most precious things that mm-hmm. we're going to have in the future. We're the only ones capable of it. Mm-hmm. And we're the only ones capable of creating like or being emotional about seeing an amazing dance in front of us. I don't think a machine can do that. No, yeah. and a machine can have this on wonder. That's what makes us human and to have that ability to create and to play, you know, to access these kind of like flow states that machines could never, never access. And machines could come over here and, you know, substitute many of the analytical parts, you know, kind of like data analysis and they could come and substitute, you know, many of the jobs that we do. But the things that machines so far as we know of technology nowadays, they could not substitute is... Um, creativity or wonder and the joy of playing. So I think that's what's going to differentiate us from these machines. And something I think that we need to start having the conversation nowadays is about adding ethics into the conversation of where technology is taking us because technology is quite exponential, right? It's like, you know, start, start. And right now we're almost kind of like in a straight line in our why, you know, like all the way up, up, up. And if you don't, if you're not on the latest, you know, technological advantage, you're going to not be on the new ones in the next, you know, three to four months and so on. Right. So you need to be all the time constantly. And we see it, for example, with the eco chambers in social media, right? That it creates these kind of like bubbles of ideologies. If you think that the world is flat, not you're going to get all of the news around you about the world is flat. No, if you think about X, Y, and Z, you're going to get all of the news and articles and whatever to you know make make you um, confident that what you believe is the truth. 
And that creates a lot of polarization. And media and news are exactly in the middle of it. What do you think should be done with these eco chambers and the polarization that we're seeing around with social media and with all the news that we have around the world? That is an immensely, immensely difficult question because um, either you put it under the wings of the multinationals um, or the global companies that are now controlling uh, or the billionaires, like let's put the example of Elon Musk with Twitter or under the wing of Facebook, you're putting in the hands of very, very wealthy people that you do not know how are they going to manipulate again the algorithms um, to make it um, more ethic or less ethics. Um, I think in the long run, it all comes down to the individual Mm -hmm. to know that you can be a target of a much bigger power, which is all this media thing. And you need to keep yourself kind of isolated from that world, taking advantage of it, not being totally away from it. But I think you need to keep, and you said something very importantly, it's impossible to keep up with this, the fast pace that this technology is moving. But if you invest in tradition, universal ethics, in universal values, in universal artwork, in universal things that have past the, the test of time and they're still with us. Principles, um, wisdom um, from different philosophers. Um, all those things have passed the test of time. Some of them go back to thousands of years. So you should always anchor yourself with this, we call it Western civilization, but it's not Western civilization because it has been around since the Babylonians. It has been around with all these old cultures that brought us language that brought us um, writing, keep in touch with that and not let yourself just being thrown like a, like a balloon, like from side to side from, with all these social media. Keep yourself grounded with the things that you know that they have been proven to be very humanistic and they have been proven to have made men and women or people more civilized and and more knowledgeable and better, better human beings. Mm -hmm. Totally. We've come to these very interesting times because uh, we've been a, gen a generation, no? so you and me, that we, we were born without, without phones. We were born without that type of technology. And nowadays we do everything with technology. So we, 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 got, we get to know the before and after of that world, right? For new generations right now, they're born exactly with this. And we don't know where exactly this is taking us in this new era of information. The good things is that, of course, you have access to education, uh, more than ever before, right? You can self-educate anything that you want to learn. You log into YouTube and like how to do or these, I don't know, whatever tutorial that you want to take. There's lots of content, right? Lots of things, but you also need, I think it's going, we're going to arrive to this, to this um, point that we are going to understand the value of time because there's lots of things around us and we need to select what we consume with our time because the most valuable thing that we have is time, right? So we need to, we're, in, we're entering this era that has to do with technology, regulating ethics at some point of the 
good aspects and the bad aspects of, of technology. Technology is amazing, of course, but it depends how we use it, right? We can use it for good or we can use it not for good. And also um, how we organize our time. Because if we, if we study you know, history around time, for example, for the Greeks, the most important thing was to be a thinker. It was, it was like the pleasure to think, the pleasure to have debates, the pleasure to have these conversations that could help you arrive to different ideological hypotheses, right? Nowadays, our culture is more about this glorification of being busy, no? Like if we were busy, we are like super successful if we don't have time, not at some point. And it doesn't make any sense at all. And then I think the new, the new generation that exactly the point that we were talking about is about wasting time. Maybe at some point we're going to understand um, our relation as humans in this third dimension that we have time and how we're going to spend time. And maybe that thing is going to be just to either waste time or the new pleasure is not going to be money, but time. No? Like how I think you have, you have cheated in the bullseye, Marion, because I think it's like how to manage time so that you can waste time, so that you can go for a walk, so that you're like doing something in your office and all of a sudden you go downstairs and prepare yourself a tea and allow yourself just to look at like the kettle boiling the water and getting lost in your own thoughts. I mean, not everything has to be efficient. If we just care about things that are efficient and using every minute of the day in the most efficient way, I think we become machines, but bad machines, because the machines are made for that. But we need the other side of us, which is much more playful. We need to let our brain rest. We need like, you know, our brain wander in places for no reason. And go for walks, which is my favorite thing in the world. Totally. And maybe maybe we should change the name instead of like wasting time. It would be an investment of time because taking a walk or watching, you know, boiling water, it has its benefits. You're investing on, on, on something. You're relaxing the mind. You're, you know, connecting with nature, depending when you're going walking, uh, you're doing, you know, benefits through your body. So it's also an investment for you. It's like this... Um, ROI, no, on your time. And sometimes, you know, we all have 24 hours in a day, right? And it depends on, you know, in one hour, what can you get out of your hour? Maybe for you, if you meditate for an hour, you get this huge, or you have a therapy with a psychologist, you can get like, uh, you know, like really big things. And maybe for other people, just watching Netflix could also, they could get, you know, a good return of investment of their time. Who knows? But we need to be conscious of selecting. And that selection has to do of the type of media and the type of content that we consume. Right. And I think one should be kind to themselves. And one should understand that when one has been overproductive or very productive or that one needs to take time off all of a sudden. And, you know, most of the creative moments, and this has been proven, has been in moments of Newton, when he discovered, um, because the apple fell from the tree. Yeah, when he gravity. He was not in front of a blackboard, like doing mathematical things. He was just looking at a tree and that thing fell and it, it came to him. There's also very big moments and, and I thought it, it was something silly, but I call them the epiphany moments that is between 
when you're totally sleeping and when you're awake, there's a twilight zone where I feel that I don't know why, but if I've been asking myself a question about a decision that I have to make and I spend the previous day thinking about it and I cannot figure it out, then I go to bed and the next morning in that amount of time between your subconscious and your conscious, all of a sudden there's like, ping, not every day, I'm talking every now and then. And there's the, this eureka moment with your brain has rested and your brain has bringing you like the answer that you have been looking for frantically, like a hamster in a wheel like that for the whole day and you couldn't figure it out. And then it all of a sudden comes. Some people experience that in the shower. Yes. You know? Totally. And I think, you know, metaphorically is when you are shaking water with oil, right? It all gets mixed together. So you're trying to find the answer or make the decision, find clarity and everything is mixed together. You cannot see because you're like, you know, short-sighted. And then when you less, when you leave the water rest, it separates from the oil. And then you have that perspective to make the decision or to, you know, find, you know, the creative solution to what you're looking for. No, I think this conversation is fascinating. And, um, and also I have a lot of questions to ask you about, you know, the relationship and your experience being a journalist and now connecting into the art world that everything that we have, but we're going to need to do another podcast for that because it's a whole different you know, theme about art and creativity and the impact that it has on human beings. But before closing, I, I would like to ask you, Emma, a few questions, just, you know, 10 questions. The idea would be for you to answer in one or a few words, you know, something really short. And the first thing that comes to mind, that works great. Okay. Um, what is art for you? Resting, letting my eye travel through the ideas of beauty of others, beauty or life, mm-hmm. pain. Love it. Your favorite author? Pablo Neruda. An advice that changed your life? In order for you to achieve something, you need to detach yourself from your desire. The best quality in humans? Being humans. Mm I love it. Being kind. A book that you recommend? My goodness. The Treaty of Worldly Worldly Wisdom by Baltasar Gracian. Amazing. Like little drops of wisdom over and over again. I love it. I love it. Uh, What feeds your soul? Mm. laughter, kindness, um, people, ideas, um, feeling, feeling nature and I don't know, things that make me feel very grateful to be to be here at all the moments mm-hmm. that are blessed, mm-hmm. which are lots. Totally. The nurturing moments. I love it. Um, the most pressing issue for humanity or one of the most pressing issues for humanity? The planet. If, the humans, planet. if humans can agree on this, you will be very happy. 
<laughs> yes, that would be. I would be very happy if everybody makes a little effort. It's like nobody's going to change this from the night to to the next day. But uh, I think if everybody like takes care of a couple of things, it can little by little make it slightly better. Mm-hmm. Totally. And uh, the last one: What is it that you have lived and that could no one could miss experiencing? A, a very a canoe trip down the Grand Canyon, mm-hmm. no electricity, no internet, um, seven days uh, with my family, looking up and seeing like millions of years of rocks mm-hmm. and feeling like such a small thing in the big picture that it was highly liberating and it was like come on, not not everything, are you at the center? Actually, not only nor are you at the center, but you're like, <laughs> you're, you have no consequence whatsoever. So feel free to live. Yes, feel free. Embrace that freedom. No, I love it. I love this, Emma. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for sharing your, your experience, your magic, your knowledge, your background. It has been really, really enriching for us. And thank you so much for joining Luan Emotional Podcast. Thank you, Marion. I love talking to you. Thank, thank you. you. Me too.